John chapter 11. It's on page 897 of those blue Bibles, or you'll find our text for this morning in your bulletin as well. This is the second of four sermons in this glorious uh, chapter. If, if you weren't with us last week, here's the, the quick synopsis of where we've come so far in this story at the beginning of the chapter we learn that Lazarus, a man who is described as loved by Jesus, a friend of Jesus, had become ill. It was a serious illness. And his two sisters, Martha and Mary, seeing the seriousness of the illness and knowing of the friendship that Jesus has with Lazarus, sends word to Jesus to let him know. Uh, And though it's unspoken, the hope is clearly that Jesus will come. Uh, that Jesus will come in time to heal their brother so that their brother will not die. Jesus gets word of this. Jesus delays departure from the place where he was, which was significantly further away, further north uh, than, than where they were in Bethany. And then Jesus, being the Son of God, aware of the time when Lazarus dies, speaks to his disciples and now says, we will go, we will journey there to Bethany. And so he and the disciples set off on this journey heading towards Bethany, which is just a little ways outside of Jerusalem. I don't know if you had opportunity to read uh, the front of your bulletin, the verse on it in particular from Ecclesiastes chapter 7, but some of the language there I'll incorporate into this sermon. Jesus is going to the house of mourning. This is the place of loss, the place of death. And Jesus, the one who is the resurrection and the life, is going into a place where death seems to dominate and to rule the day. We're going to begin the reading at verse 17, which takes us back a little bit just by way of refreshing uh, where we are, and I'll continue this morning through verse 27. Hear then this portion of the life-giving word of God. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, 
the Son of God who is coming into the world. Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. You have taught us so through your word, from the Holy, which the Holy Spirit has taken and for us convinced us that it is true and shown us that. We rejoice in it. We pray that we would grow and learn and love along with the people in this text today. We pray it in your name. Amen. So we come with Jesus this morning into this house of mourning, this house, this home, this family that has been consumed by death, the loss of a beloved brother. Jesus and the disciples come into this house, and as they come, they come together, or they come, I, I shouldn't say together, but along with other friends of the family, other relatives who were in Jerusalem, probably a prominent family, and many had come out to this place, to this house of mourning, to try to console, to try to comfort this grieving family in the loss of their beloved brother. Perhaps we could say that Martha and Mary are sitting Shiva, and those who are coming are coming to do exactly what you would expect them to do, to be there and to communicate love and friendship and, uh, and to try in some way to help in the situation. And I suppose, I, I don't even suppose, I know that all of us have been in a similar position. We have been those who have gone into the house of mourning, the house where somebody we know, somebody we love has lost, somebody that they love, and we've tried by our presence, by our words, maybe by bringing flowers, sending flowers, sending a note, providing a meal. We've tried the best we can to share memories and to console a person in their time of loss. And I know that all of us have been on the receiving end of that as well. All of us have been in the place where the person lost is the person whom perhaps we were the closest to, that we loved the best. And Others have come and sought in those ways to bring to us some kind of comfort, some, some kind of word of encouragement. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. That's the point of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And, and the idea there and the idea here is that in the house of mourning, there is love that can be seen, love that can be given and received. There is wisdom to be gained in that house of mourning that cannot be found in other places. It's a unique 
place. It's a unique time in our lives when we've lost the people that we love or when others around us have lost the people that they love. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning and the living take it to heart. That's a simple prayer for us today. That as we enter in to this place, to this house, to this family, that we would take it to heart, the things that we see and hear here today. Now, if wisdom is to be found when we go into the house of mourning, and that's true, right? That's what Ecclesiastes 7 says, that whenever we go into the house of mourning, there's wisdom to be found there. If that's true, when you and I or others visit one another in those situations or are ourselves visited, if that's true, how much more? How much more is it true when Jesus enters into that space? When the one who bears the name Wonderful Counselor comes into the place of death to console the grieving, how much more is there wisdom to be gained there when Jesus enters into sadness? Now, if you'll allow me today, uh, indulge me. I'm not going to work through this via an outline today. I tried a number of ways to outline the passages, and frankly, none of them fit uh, very well. Death doesn't outline well. Uh, it's better to just walk through the text, to hear the conversation, or to overhear, in our case, the conversation that takes place as Jesus comes to this place. So we're going to walk through the sadness, uh, frankly, the ambiguity, and then the brightness as we go through our text today. Last week, we reflected a lot on the statement that Martha makes in verse 21. And of course, we saw last week that Mary repeats the statement almost verbatim a little bit further down in the text. But we reflected on this idea, this first thing that we hear from Martha, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And we reflected on that. But she continues in verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. That's actually a little bit of a, of a hard to understand statement that she makes there. We might be tempted initially when we read this, and I know this is, this is my perhaps first impression if I were to read only that sentence there, that what Martha knows and what she expects is perhaps that Jesus can still do something with respect to Lazarus at that moment, even though he has died. But upon reflection, that actually seems doubtful. That's what her expectation is, because it doesn't really follow from the previous comment, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She doesn't expect anything positive to be able to come out of this at this stage. And it also doesn't jive well with the rest of the passage, especially down in verse 39, where Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, 
Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus gives her a mild rebuke after that. Didn't I tell you that I was going to do something? In other words, she doesn't seem to expect what's going to take place in this passage, if you know the passage, the resurrection of Lazarus. And so what we have here from her more seems to be a, a general statement of even though this death has taken place, still, still, I believe in you. I believe in your relation to the Father, even though my brother has died. And Jesus, in response to her, consoles her with the great hope of the resurrection, says to her, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. So the wonderful counselor comes into the place of death and he speaks into death words of resurrection, words of hope, words of life. Now, if you recall, there was some debate amongst the Jews of the days of the day about this idea of resurrection. There was some contestation that went on there. The Pharisees believed in a future resurrection of the dead, and that would have been based on passages like the one that we read from Ezekiel, like another passage from Daniel 12 that we'll look at in a couple of weeks. But they believed difficult as it might be for them to picture and to imagine in a future resurrection of the dead, whereas there were another group of Jewish leaders, the Sadducees, who, on the other hand, did not believe in that, did not believe in any kind of future bodily resurrection of the dead. But Martha hears the words of Jesus and assumes that he is speaking of that future far-off resurrection. So Martha takes the perspective that in this case the Pharisees took as well of some in the future resurrection. She responds, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha has, and, and we noted this last week, and we want to emphasize it again here this week, Martha has a measure of genuine faith. And we don't want to diminish that in any way. She believes in Jesus, and she believes in the resurrection. But Jesus, by listening to her, and by, by speaking to her, by telling her words that she then misinterpreted or misheard, and probably not her fault, they were ambiguous words. Jesus could have been speaking of something that will take place immediately or could have been referring to something that would take place later. But he's discerned a deficiency in her faith. Her faith isn't wrong, but her faith needs to grow. Martha doesn't seem to be consoled by Jesus speaking of the resurrection. You know how difficult it is 
to speak words of consolation to someone who's in that setting, right? What do we always say? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Maybe others had tried to console Martha and Mary with similar words. Your brother will rise again at the last day. Maybe she's heard that before. In any case, as she hears those words from Jesus, she doesn't yet see the connection that exists between Jesus standing right in front of her and that resurrection which she assumes he's talking about, the one that takes place on the last day. She sees those, Jesus, as the one who could have done something had he been here on time, that's him, and now he's talking to me about this. These are different things. This resurrection that will take place sometime in the future. But perhaps more significantly here is that she seems to see Jesus as a means to an end. I want to try and say this carefully because I think that it is something that we ourselves can drift into very easily as well. The end, of course, would be the life of her brother. The end that Martha and Mary desired when they sent word to Jesus, the end that they desired was a living, present, talking Lazarus. They, they wanted their brother to be well and to be alive. And the means to get to that is Jesus. He is the one who could have made him well. Had he been earlier, he could have brought about the desired end instead of the realized end. The realized end, as Martha perceives it, is a decaying brother. The desired end was completely different than that. And, and we, I think, can be guilty of this same deficiency in our lives wherein we see Jesus as the way to get over the problems in our life that confront us. And, and, and you can fill in what those problems might be. But we see Jesus as the way to get to a better life. I have a marriage that is struggling. We don't get along well. We don't know one another well. If we had more of Jesus in our life, we'd have and better marriage. I'm struggling with my health. If I had more of Jesus in my life, if Jesus would do something, I would have better health. I'm struggling with depression. If, if you knew more of Jesus in your life, you wouldn't struggle with depression. You'd have and joy that is there. And, and fill in the blank with whatever other kind of struggle we might be thinking about, uh, job loss or kids struggling with drugs or something like that. We look to Jesus and we see Jesus as the means to the end, which is to say the end of the problems. Jesus, help us to get over these problems that exist in our world, that exist in our lives. But of course, 
when the problems don't end, we end up with a Jesus, if only you would have. If only you would have intervened. If only you would have been there in a timely way. Healed the person I love. Stopped it from happening. Whatever. I don't know, of course, none of us do, how these next words were said to Martha. But I imagine, had I been there, and had Jesus said these words directly to me, I imagine him reaching across the table, my head being a little bit down, not looking him in the eye, and I imagine him tilting up my chin and saying, Eric, you got to look at me right now. You got to look at me right in the eyes and listen to what I am about to say to you. You have to hear this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is, in fact, saying to her, resurrection and life, these are not detached, disembodied constructs, philosophies, ideas that are drifting out there somewhere in thought and in space. They're not distant. They're not obscure. They're not impersonal. They're not amorphous. I am the resurrection and the life. I don't just create them. Now, he does, right? He creates life. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. That's the beginning of John, the very beginning of John. I don't just create life. He doesn't just give resurrection and life, although he has said, I give eternal life. He doesn't just do resurrection in life, although he is about to do resurrection. He is about to raise the dead right here. He says, no, no, no. I don't just create them. I don't just give them. I don't just do them. I am. I am them. That's profoundly different. That's way, way different. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not just the means by which you get to a desired end of resurrection in life. Instead, he is the end. He's not taking Martha, Lazarus, and Mary, and he's not, he's not taking them to those things as if he's somehow our guide who's going to take us on a journey and drop us off when we get to the end of the journey in the land of the living. Here you go. I got you there. That's the way that it is. This is the destination that you wanted. And, and here you are. He's going to take us there. And sometime in the future, he'll get us to that place place. 
Instead, he says, I am now, right before you, the ever-living one, the ever-present one, and to believe in me right now is to be resurrected. It is to experience and to have resurrection life now. Because that's who I am. And he clarifies, lest Martha think he was saying that no one would actually physically die. What he says is, no, no, no. I'm taking into account physical death. The life that I am, the life that he is, the life that I am is a life which death itself cannot overcome. Not your death, not anybody's death, not Lazarus's death. It cannot overcome this. It cannot interrupt resurrection life. And I am the resurrection and the life. I am sovereign over death. Martha, Martha, I am speaking of a resurrection and a life not somewhere out here. I am speaking of it as the one who possesses it now, who cannot be separated from it because it is me, and cannot be separated from those who believe in me. Jesus is not saying, Martha, Look on the bright side of things. I'm going to raise Lazarus up in a few hours. Don't, don't worry about any of this. I'm gonna, I got it. I'm going to raise Lazarus up. He doesn't say, I'm going to give him resurrection life sometime in the far off future. Both of those things a resurrection life sometime far off in the future, and the fact that he was going to raise Lazarus in, what's the timing, a few hours. They're way too small. They are way, way too small for the one who is the resurrection and the life. We have seen this pattern throughout the gospel all the way up to this point. Wine at a wedding is good, but it pales in comparison. Water from a well is good, but it's not everlasting water. Bread when you're hungry is good, but it's not the everlasting bread. Healing is good. Even giving a man his sight who's been blind from birth is good, but it's too small. Instead of that, instead of just saying, I'm going to raise him in a few hours, Jesus says, Martha, Look at me. Look me in the eyes right now. Martha, look full on his wonderful face. And when you do, when you do, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. That's what's happening right here. Listen, Martha.
Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? If you were here last Sunday, you heard me use that phrase several times over the course of the sermon. You may have wondering, wondered where I was getting it from. I was just anticipating it coming this week to us right at this particular point. Jesus has just declared what could be, I don't know how you evaluate this, but what could be the most extraordinary statement ever uttered in the history of humanity. I am the resurrection and the life. And he said it in the house of mourning. He declared himself to be the destroyer of death and the author of life. The alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. How do you access that? How do you begin to take that in? We're tempted, at least I'm tempted as I think through this, to cry out with the psalmist, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. How do, how do I attain to the one who says I'm the resurrection and the life and he's sitting embodied in front of me? But Jesus came down. He became a man. He speaks to Martha. He speaks to us simply and clearly of the way and of the means. Do you believe this? The question is deep. The question is simple. And the answer changes everything. Martha, be aware, Martha does not say, yes, I believe that you can raise my brother Lazarus from the dead. I believe that you can give him life again. Lazarus is no longer the immediate object of concern and of conversation. In other words, Lazarus is no longer the end. By listening to her, by speaking to her, in the most wonderful way, Jesus has changed the end. Lazarus is no longer the end. A conversation in the house of mourning has led to an unexpected wisdom, an unexpected consolation, and an unexpected gladness. That's what Ecclesiastes 7 says. There's gladness to be found in the house of mourning. Well, here he is. Here he is. Here's gladness sitting in the house of mourning. John, rascal, stole my thunder uh, by pointing out that third verse in, uh, in our second hymn today. Let sorrow do its work. Send grief or pain. Sweet are thy messengers. Sweet their refrain. When they can sing with me, more love, O Christ, to thee. To thee. 
that prayer is answered in this house on this day. Sorrow. Sorrow has done its work. And Martha makes the good confession in the midst of the wreckage of our death-filled world. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. I remind us again, this is the purpose for which the book was written. John has taken us very deliberately to this point. The purpose for which he wrote the book, just, I, I think I read it two weeks ago, let me just read it again for us. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Maybe you're here today. You're in this house, not a house of mourning, perhaps. Jesus speaks to you and says, I am the resurrection and the life. And the question is for you, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Will you receive this one thing, Jesus, as the end of all things? Not anything else. Jesus. And brothers and sisters, hear this. The point that Jesus is making to her is the point that we need to hear as well. Resurrection life begins now. Not in some far off distant future. It's broken in now. Because the one who is the resurrection and the life has come into the world. You live by faith in the life of the resurrection now. Jesus said to those who mourn and to all, I am the resurrection and the life. What say you? Do you believe this? Lord, may our answer be amen and amen. Thank you for calling us from the dead and granting to us everlasting life. And more than that, granting to us yourself. Let us have no other end but you. We pray it in your name. Amen.